This is episode two of season two of Paper Cut for November 24th, 2021. Welcome to episode 13 of Paper Cut, the Nyack Libraries podcast. Our guest today is Katie Karkek, Nyack resident and the programming librarian at Scarsdale Library. Hi, Nyack Katie. legend. Hi. <laughs> I'm on many, many things, but we, could, we could go on, but we don't. Thank you for having me. <laughs> You're welcome. I'm Rosemary Farrell. I'm Georgia Grandstaff. I'm Tracy Dunstan. I'm Katie Kirkpatrick. <laughs> and that is Katie. We, we know Katie now. Yeah. Um, so this episode uh, is going to be about memoirs. There are a few different takes on what a memoir actually is. Uh, I took it the way that I'm sure Rosemary Tracy and Katie took it, which is it's like sort of an autobiography, essentially, but more so focused on a certain point in someone's life as opposed to just their entire life story. Um, so we're going to be doing what we do. We're going to be talking about some of our favorite ones and just having hopefully a good time talking about these. I mean, I, I don't read that many memoirs, so hopefully you guys can can take the reins a little bit more than me. Um, but I think that Rosemary, you're gonna go first, right? Yep, so, all right, if, if no one minds. <laughs> so I picked three books and three movies that I really love. Uh, the first book I'm gonna talk about is Born a Crime by Trevor Noah, who is the host of The Daily Show and a comedian among other things. And I read it with um, a memoir book group that I used to run at the library pre-pandemic. And it was definitely one of the most popular titles that we discussed. And I, I love his comedy and his work on The Daily Show. And I knew he was from South Africa. I knew a little bit of his background, but I didn't know the full story of his childhood and his relationship with his mother, which is what most of the book is about. Um, his mother was, uh, was black his father was white and I believe he was from now I can't remember where he, his father was from but he wasn't from South Africa I don't remember either anyway so basically born a crime refers to the fact that under the apartheid system at the time that was in place his Trevor Noah's existence was a crime it was a criminal act so his mother had to basically hide him to a certain extent or pretend on the street sometimes if the, if an authority figure was around she would they'd be walking down the street together especially when he was younger like holding hands and if she saw a cop she would basically drop his hand and pretend that she wasn't with him which is pretty amazing he does a great job of explaining the very intricate apartheid system that was set up i mean i, I knew a lot about it but i didn't realize how 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 they monitored or that every like shade of skin <laughs> that you could possibly imagine was basically given its own category. There were all these different categories and each category they had had to follow certain rules in society. Um, and I was very, I remember being very impressed with his explanation of all of this in a very like um, approachable, readable way and that it didn't take up, it, he didn't let it take over the book. It didn't take, he didn't take away from his own personal story. He managed to do it in a very concise way, which is pretty impressive. He's also very funny in the book, of course, but he's a, he's a great writer on top of everything else. Um, and his mother is extraordinary, a woman. And that was my takeaway from the book was, I learned a lot about him, but I was most gratified by learning about his mother and his relationship to his mom. Um, who appropriately enough gets the final word in the book, which is, I'm not going to share it because I think everyone should read it. 
Um, I'm also a little annoyed that someone can be like Trevor Noah can be this talented, intelligent, as well as devastatingly handsome on <laughs> top of everything else. Yeah. So that's right. Can I chime in about this? Yes. Because this is something that I wanted to also bring up, but I figured since Rosemary's going to talk about it, that I wouldn't. But I just wanted to add to what she was saying. Um, I also loved Born a Crime. I think they're making it into a. That's what I was thinking. It, it should be a film or a series. Ooh, I think that they will. Yeah. Um, so two things about it. Number one, yes, it was it was funny because he is sort of like by trade in a way like a comedian, but it wasn't as funny as I thought. It really was just him telling the story of his life, which was fascinating enough. It didn't need to be funny because, you know, um, the other thing. So I think that he was maybe like six or seven when apartheid officially ended. Mm-hmm. Um, so what I found really fascinating was learning about what life post-apartheid was like for people who lived there especially people of color like what was the aftermath of that you know things are certainly different there than I thought that they were I think that sometimes you know you learn about apartheid and then like that's it in school you don't learn Mm -hmm. about like what happened after that and it's fascinating just like the the social caste system there everything um so yeah I would also highly recommend Born a Crime that was that was a really good one Uh, my second choice is a book called Minor Characters by Joyce Johnson, which came out, I think, in the mid 80s. Uh, I went through a period in my teens and early 20s when I was fairly obsessed with the beat writers, uh, not just their literary output, but their lives and how they lived them. Uh, but as we know, all the best known names from that movement were and are still men. And as free as these men strove to be, they could also, they were also quite misogynistic and piggy (laughs) at the same time, as we know. Uh, I first read this book about 30 years ago, and I remember being struck by it. It's it's very straightforward and beautiful, and her writing is very clear, but also has this real melancholy flavor to it, because she's, it's basically a coming-of-age memoir. She's writing about her late teens, early 20s in New York City, she was a writer. She was an aspiring novelist at the time. I forget what college she went to, but she went to maybe Barnard, I think. And um, she had a job at one of the publishing houses, you know, just out of college, um, living this fairly mm-hmm. bohemian life. She hooks up with Jack Kerouac for a two years off and on mm-hmm. romantic relationship. And she happens to be his, you know, with like physically with him the morning that the New York Times published this famous review of On the Road, which basically made him, even though he'd been writing most of his life at that point and had already published other books, made him an overnight sensation. Like he was the voice of the generation. And then his decline started pretty rapidly after that due to alcoholism and other issues that he had. Uh, So she has this take on, the book is about, obviously a lot of it is about their relationship. And even though he didn't, treat her in a way that I thought was good, quote unquote. <laughs> he was As always men did. <laughs> um, he was always extremely encouraging about her writing, which which you would not necessarily take for granted. He he was always pushing her to write more because he was always writing. He was always working. One thing he did have until alcohol took over was a great work ethic. And so did she. And he was all even after their relation the romantic relationship ended mm-hmm. He was would pop in and out of her life, but he, he they wrote a lot of letters to each other, which he saved. He just never stopped encouraging her to keep going, to keep going at her own writing, which I, I really love. But um, she also writes a lot about the other 
you know, obviously her, her friends at the time, the other women that she knew who were also sort of part of this beat scene, but never got their due for one reason or another, like Hetty Jones, who's written her own books. She was back to Leroy Jones, who changed his name to Amiri Baraka. And um, as he got older, but they were all part of that bohemian scene. But the women often got shunted off to the side, not just because of the way those particular men thought, but just society in general and still does. But especially back then, like to be young, single in the city working, it was it was uh, it was a hard life. And it was not something that people, uh, women were encouraged to do, except to like get a job, find a man, quit the job, stay home, move to Connecticut, have kids, et cetera, et cetera which she never did. I mean, she did have children, but that was later in life. Um, and that book, she has another book written. She wrote uh, another memoir called Missing Men, which is about her later life that um, is also very good. But this, I just thought this book was really extraordinary. It's very haunting. I don't know how else to explain it. And I, I made a point of buying it for the library collection because I was shocked <laughs> that nobody owned this book in the whole system. And I think it won like the Pulitzer Prize. It won some big prize when it first came out and then it just sort of disappeared off the map. And she's still alive. She still lives in New York City. I took, a, I was lucky enough to take a couple of writing classes with her at the 92nd Street Y back when I was young and <laughs> fancy free. But she was a great teacher too. She, she, I don't know if she teaches now. She's in her 80s, but she was an excellent teacher and um, was very like fair and tough, which I appreciated. But I would definitely um, encourage everyone to read this book. It's, it sort of fills in some historical gaps. And my third uh, is a little bit of a cheat because it's sort of a mashup of a memoir and art criticism. It's by Olivia Lang or Lang. I'm not sure exactly how to pronounce her name. She's a British writer, queer British writer. She's written um, a number of books. This is, I think, her third book. Um, and I love all her stuff. She's written, she writes about art and literature usually. Uh, she does have one novel called Crudo, which is, I also highly recommend. It's a combination of a fictionalized memoir and a homage to Kathy Acker, who's a postmodern punk writer who wrote this great book. I remember reading Blood and Guts in High School, which I read back in the eighties, <laughs> cause I'm old. Um, Anyway, back to Lonely City. Lang writes about this time in her mid-30s when she lived alone in New York City after a romantic relationship suddenly ends. She like She's British. She moves to New York to be with this particular guy and he dumps her like a week later. <laughs> so she's, uh, she's living in the Lower East Side and um, she just sort of couch surfs for a while and then she finds uh, the cheap apartments and lives and writes in the city. And she talks, she, and as someone who's lived in New York um, off and on during my life, but I especially related to her descriptions of feeling lonely in New York at that age, because I lived there when I was um, in my 20s and 30s, and being surrounded by people, but still feeling that, that particular loneliness, aloneness, detachment from whatever you was going on around you. It's partly because you don't have enough money to participate in things, but also just um, that, like if you're living the way she did without roommates and without a partner, it's very easy to just spend many, many hours by yourself in New York City. And, but she, she has, you know, obviously some sadness about it, but she also feels like 
she starts examining the loneliness being a writer. She steps back and decides to write about it. And she thinks there's a possibility that loneliness can transport her into an otherwise unreachable experience of reality. That's a quote from the book. And it leads her to examine different artists and creative people who also sort of dealt with their own version of what she was going through. There's Klaus Nomi, who is a musician, performance artist, Valerie Solanus, she writes about, who was, who wrote a, the Scum Manifesto and was, she's most famous for having shot Andy Warhol, but she had a very interesting life on her own. Um, and there's, she's sort of being written about more now and on her own terms. And, but the focus of the book, she, she whittles it down to like a quartet of visual artists who are sort of steeped in their own alone list. One of which is Andy Warhol, um, then Edward Hopper, uh, this outsider artist called Henry Darger, who I think we have some a book or two of. Then the artist David Wojnarowicz. I don't know if I pronounced that correctly. He's a famous queer artist. Um, there was a great Whitney uh, show. Wanarovic, I think. You know how to say it? Wanarovic. Okay, thank you. I've never yeah. <laughs> heard his name out loud before. Yeah. Um, she also has another book all about him that it's art criticism. Uh, so she's this fabulous critic, but she's also really funny and warm. And uh, I just love this book. I feel she really captured that sense of living in the city at that age and also turning it into a work of art. So the, th the three films, uh, first one was Diving Bell and the Butterfly which is based on a, a, French, a book by Jean-Dominique Balbi, who was a fashion editor at French L, who had this very full life. I love that name. <laughs> I don't know if I, I've murdered it or you not. You made it sound really good. <laughs> Jean-Dominique Balbi. <laughs> um, I can do crappy French accents all day. Mm -hmm. uh, so he's, he's just living this fabulous life in Paris. He's a mistress, a wife, children, blah, blah, blah. And he has this massive stroke one day. He's not mm -hmm. very old. He had no symptoms which leaves him in a state of what they call locked in syndrome, where his brain, his mental capacities are intact and the same, but he cannot move his physical body. And except for his left eye, like he can blink his eye. The book in the movie is sort of about how he manages to learn to communicate. And he ends up dictating the text of this book by blink him in as a therapist, figure out a, a way for him to blink words to her. And they, she, he blinks she takes down the words and they publish this book and humans are astounding <laughs> yes. that the desire to communicate is so strong yeah and the the book is really good the the film is beautiful because it has it, it's about that process obviously and a little bit about his life before but it's also about imagining like or taking what he put in his book and bringing to life his interior life because that's what he had in the hospital more than anything else was all his dreams and memories. And it's really gorgeous. Julian Schnabel, the artist directed it. Um, so that was my first one, Angel at My Table, which I think I mentioned in other podcasts, which is based on the memoirs of the New Zealand writer, Janet Frame, directed by Jane Campion. I think it was her first big direction, directorial job. It was, I think it was originally a three part series that they showed on, film, uh, on TV over there. Jane, Jana Frame is not very well known in the States, but she was very famous in her home country and in Australia. And it's just three sections of her life, like childhood, adolescence, and young adulthood. Her story is that she's always this sort of brilliant child, grew up poor and, a, you know, 
didn't have very good education, but was always obsessed with reading and language. She's very, she's very shy and sort of tends to depression. She's misdiagnosed as schizophrenic after she drops out of um, education college. She goes to learn to be a teacher and she can't cope. She has like panic attacks. So they misdiagnosed her. They put her in for eight years. She was in an institution and had over 200 electroshock therapy sessions while she was there. But she was also writing while she was there and had two books published. But she's and she's actually scheduled to have a lobotomy. But one of her books wins a prize. And basically her father comes and says, you're never going to like the father like and the mother. They loved her, but, you know, they felt cowed by all the doctors saying, well, this is what you have to do. This is what you have to do. Your daughter's crazy. And her father basically comes and takes her out and says, there's no, you're not, don't worry, you're not going in there again. And she makes her life as a, as a writer and goes to Spain and lives in Spain for a while, but she ends up coming back. She's never like, she, she, I think she lives with her sister as she gets older, but um, anyway, the movie is just, it's gorgeous. It really, you really feel like you're inside of her head. And there's three different actresses who play her at the different ages and they're all just spectacular and it's and julia which is sort of goofy but i love 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 meryl streep in it as julia child and i love stanley tucci like stanley tucci and meryl streep together are just delicious like (laughs) i just can't resist them um and it's about obviously julia child but the based on the the book i forget the author's name i know amy adams plays her in the movie who cooks her way through the mastering the art of french cooking Mm -hmm. And writes a blog about it, and Julia Child basically disses her <laughs> about her blog, but she gets it published uh, as a book. Um, and the movie that movie is just I, the parts with the with Julie, the the modern day cooking parts, they're good, they're okay. I like Amy Adams, but I love the, the all the the scenes of of Julia Child and and uh, her husband because her life is so extraordinary. And I remember as a kid watching her show cooking show with my mom on a little black and white TV set and her, her voice, you know, she's just so such a character. Was she British? No, she was American, but she had that like clear new England kind of patrician accent Mm -hmm. that just doesn't really exist anymore. And she lived in France for a long time, Mm -hmm. but, but I always remember watching her put like food in an oven and two seconds later they would pull it out and it would be ready. It's like, how do they do that? (laughs) But she's just great. So I'm going to sign of domesticity is you can pull it out. It's instantly done. Yeah, exactly. It's perfect. So, so. yeah, I will go next. When I was first asked to be a guest on this podcast and that the discussion topic was going to be memoirs, the first thing that popped into my head was Just Kids by living legend, grandmother of punk rock visual artist, poet, Patti Smith. The reason was, and I absolutely recommend that this be listened to on audio. I have never had as much of an intimate listening experience as I did listening to her story. It very, she reads it herself in her very specific accent, in her very gravelly voice. And I just felt like she was sitting in a room talking to me, telling me her life story. Um, It is the story of her life with Robert Maplethorpe, the visual artist and photographer who went on to gain quite a bit of notoriety um, for his sexually explicit images, among other things. But when they met, they were both broke and homeless and Robert was sick and 
they sort of met under these extraordinary circumstances and connected immediately. Um, and their lives were just really precarious. It seemed their, their relationships seemed to be the only stable things in their lives. And this is just an incredible portrait of the New York City art scene in the 60s and 70s. They're, you know, in, among all their different difficult times, they had the good fortune to meet a whole lot of creatives. They lived in the Chelsea, in the Hotel Chelsea, excuse me. <laughs> they got involved with Max's Kansas City. They, there was a very funny scene where Patty meets Ellen Ginsberg at a automat. And, you know, it's, it's just having been at the epicenter of the art scene in New York City in the 60s and 70s. And it's gritty and romantic and just beautifully, beautifully written. I think she won the National Book Award for this, this book. And I just, I can't recommend it enough, particularly on audio. The second book I selected was In the Dream House by Carmen Maria Machado. This is the first of two that have sort of unusual structures that I'm going to recommend. In this book, Carmen Maria Machado creates what she calls a dream house, which is a place where her desires and, expect and the expectations of her life can be placed while she's experiencing something completely different. Um, this is a story of her relationship to a woman who was relentlessly emotionally abusive to her. It's the gaslighting and the just horrible treatment and the difficulty of getting out of it and the controlling behavior. And her structuring this as a dream house has a lot to do with how her, how her desires, excuse me, I apparently can't talk today, and her realities were in constant conflict with each other. It also brings up the idea about how same-sex domestic abuse is real, but it's often denied and often invisible. It's not something that people hear about all that often. So it's just incredibly well-written. It's sort of written in these vignettes. It's just, it's, it's an extraordinary piece. Um, not an easy read, but rewarding and sort of dreamlike in itself and that came out not that yeah. long ago right Katie no I want to say it was maybe two or three years ago yeah. um you know and I had written I had, I had written I had not written I had read her uh collection of short stories called her body and other parties that came out maybe a year or two before that that was also really great and just weird and uh, sort of fantastical and there's a novella in the middle of it that's written in you know law and order svu episodes it's totally kind of it's kind of insane but you're talking about her really, the, the the first one right her, her essays her it? body and other parties okay yeah the the short stories but this memoir is just it's really an extraordinary work and sort of unlike anything i'd ever re read before so then lastly, um, <laughs> I just finished this book this morning. Um, I chose My Autobiography of Carson McCullers by Jen Shapland. I had heard about this book for a long time and gotten a lot of accolades. I know it won the Lambda Literary this past year. It was a finalist for the National Book Award. It had been on my radar for, you know, since its publication, primarily because Carson McCullers lived in Nyack, just steps from the library. So 
and I had read, I had read The Heart is a Lonely Hunter with my book club a few years ago. And I've, I've just been sort of interested in her, but not known a lot about her. This book sort of, I remember when it came into the library at my previous job and I spent the longest time trying to figure out where to put it because do I put this as a biography of Carson McCullers? Do I put this as an autobiography of Jen Shopland? Is this queer history? Is it literary criticism? I didn't know what to do with it. So <laughs> this book um, blends Jen Shopland's experience of having worked in the archives at the Harry Ransom Center and coming across the personal papers of Carson McCullers, particularly some letters between her and this other woman that were very clearly love letters. And then later on, the transcripts of her therapy sessions with a woman from Nyack named Dr. Mary Mercer, who was her therapist. And apparently Carson McCullers had asked her to record all of her therapy sessions in an attempt at writing her own autobiography. I guess she was maybe stuck, maybe she was not, but she figured this would be the best way to do it if she just tells her story. Jen Shapland looked at these letters and looked at these transcripts and said, oh my God, I think Kirsten McCullers was a lesbian. So she spent a lot of time tracking down more archival materials, trying to sort of find the fragments of her relationships with other women despite her having married the same man twice, who was rather abusive to her. This is also the, uh, the author sort of recognizing herself within these stories and coming to terms with her own sexuality and how people walk around in the world as queer people and the need to be seen and just sort of looking for the evidence of it because it was never part of the official biographies of Carson McCullers. So it was just a very, really interesting book. Um, it had a lot to do with the thrill of archival research, which is something I completely nerd out over. Um, and just what queer communities looked like in the first half of the 20th century up through the 50s um, and just how those kinds of research can really cause personal obsession and identification and the need to find out more. Um, I really identified with that. And I later found out that Jen Shaplin also went to my college. So it was an interesting little mashup of things that were very familiar to me in a variety of different places. So really, those are my three choices. That sounds really cool. I'm going to pick it up because you had me at archival research nerding out. That sounds really Oh fun. man, yeah. it's... I've, I've had experiences like that working in archives myself where I just get this little teeny piece of information and then, oh my God, I need to know more about this, which leads to the next thing, which leads to the next <laughs> thing. And that excitement definitely comes out in this book, but it's also told in little vignettes and little bits and pieces. And it's as much about the author as it is about Carson McCullers herself. I guess I'll go next because I don't know. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm like Georgia, like I don't, I, when I was looking it up, I realized I did write a lot more memoirs than I thought, but I didn't think I had. But um, so I'm, I'm not as going to be as detailed as you and Rosemary, unfortunately, because you guys have all this knowledge of it. But my first pick is 
All But My Life by Gertie Weissman Klein. Um, I think it was the first memoir I really read because we had a, I took a Holocaust studies course in high school and it was a, it was a, well, like an extra credit book you could read to kind of supplement um, Night and Diary of Anne Frank, the more familiar um, autobiographies. And it was just, I just thought it was, the writing was really good and the way she just kind of, it's basically her experience in, during, in Poland during 1939 up until the end of the war and kind of how literally she lost everyone but her life. And then she's liberated um, from a German concentration camp by the guy who ends up being her husband. And it also talks a little bit about life after, which I feel like a lot of Holocaust books tend not to talk about what happened after the end of the war. So that's what kind of really always stuck with me about that book was that it did show you kind of how, the, how you go from being losing everyone you know, and then having to live your life again and having to start over. And then my second pick is Angel's Ashes by Frank McCourt, which is another one I read in high school. Um, and it's about his childhood in the slums of Ireland. Uh, I read that book and I also read Tids. And I just thought it was the way he goes into his childhood, but also talks about, in Tids, he talks more about his teaching career. And I just thought his writing style was really funny. I thought his family was really interesting and just the whole background night. I believe I saw the movie. There's a movie, right? Or a TV show, I think. Something. Maybe. Maybe a movie. There, you might. I think there was a movie. Yeah. I remember, I remember I, it came out. My parents were like, you have to go upstairs. You can't watch it. <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty dark. But I remember liking that too. And then my third choice is Becoming and by Michelle Obama and Dreams of My Father by Barack Obama. I read them both back to back and it was just really fun to see the completely different writing styles. And just, because Dreams of My Father's written before he becomes president. So he's kind of a lot more, I think he's a guarded person in any way, but he's way more guarded, I think, because he has this whole political career going and she's just like, whatever, I'll just tell you everything. I just thought, I tended to, I liked Dreams of My Father a little bit better because I think I related more to his story than hers, but I thought they were both really well written and really interesting. Um, especially the audiobook for Becoming. I thought she did a really good job with the audiobook. I was just going to chip in with that. That was another one that was extremely intimate, I felt, on audio. Yeah, it was cool. And then some honorable mentions. I have no idea why I picked this up at the library, but they came in, I think I saw it on the new books cart, but My Girls with Carrie and Debbie by Todd Fisher. Not a Star Wars fan, but I guess I like some of the movies, um, like When Harry Met Sally and Halloween Town and Singing in the Rain. But I picked it up and I ended up loving it. It was the way he wrote it. I couldn't put it down. It was just a really interesting, like almost like a background view of Hollywood and old Hollywood and just kind of watching both these two people who are such big characters, kind of how they came to be and how affected the, like, the lives of the people around him, especially him, because he's kind of, you know, he didn't have the career that they had and he's just kind of like they're along for the ride so it was just kind of that was a really really good book surprisingly surprising how much I like that one and I also really liked Educated by uh, Tara Westover I think is how you say her name um I feel like it's kind of cliche to say you like Educated now but I don't know I liked it I thought it was, <laughs> I thought it was interesting um, good book's a good book. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah that's just about her overcoming her I feel like Educated is what where the crawdads thing wanted to be in a way. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I like that one a lot better than that. Um, yeah, you hated that book. I didn't hate it. I just... We're going to do a whole podcast <laughs> on that because I want to argue about this all day with you. Now is oh, you'll have to bring me back too because I'm with Tracy on that yeah. one. Oh, really? Oh. Yeah. That'd be a, that'd be a fun episode. 
Yeah. Librarian showdown. <laughs> Let's do it. <laughs> and film-wise, um, Running With Scissors is just a really funny movie. Um, mm-hmm. It's about Augustine Burroughs, his upbringing, living with his therapist, which is just a crazy story. It's just interesting. And Catch If You Can, I think, is one of my favorite Steelbrook movies. I think it's underrated. And it's about um, Frank Adnil and his life as a uh, con artist. And he's a, I think, teenager up until maybe his 20s, where he just, he's a pilot, he's a doctor, he does all these different things. It's just a really funny, it's, there's some sad parts to it, but it's also just really well written, really well directed and acted, funny mm-hmm. film. I like that movie too. I really enjoyed that movie and I'm always a little wary of Leo DiCaprio. Really? Tom Hanks and Spielberg combined, <laughs> but I really right. enjoyed yeah, it. Yeah, there's a certain yeah. energy there with all three of them. Yeah. Yeah. Leonardo DiCaprio, I, I've come to appreciate him more, but I don't know. I, she just doesn't do it for me. I don't he know what it is. <laughs> my childhood crush. <laughs> oh. DiCaprio. Same. And then I remember like some article came out that he smoked cigarettes and all my friends were like, oh, we don't like him anymore. (laughs) (laughs) Now he's like, you know, it's another librarian showdown. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Now, of course, he's, you know, middle aged guy dating 20 year olds. But, you know, yeah, that's that's a whole other thing. Um, okay, so I'll, I'll talk. So, mm-hmm. all right, as I said in the beginning, I don't really read a lot of memoirs or, you know, anything like that. Um, I will read, however, any celebrity autobiography, especially mm-hmm. if there are glossy photos in it. Um, I've read all the celebrity ones. I mean, I've read all the musician ones. Um, I read Bad As I Want to Be by Dennis Rodman. I read the 50 Cent autobiography from Pieces to Wait, which was <laughs> fabulous um my name is earl the dmx story r.i.p um Mm -hmm. but i do sometimes read ones that are not about musicians or famous people um although the ones i am going to mention are written by whatever anyway i'm just gonna get right into it i have two uh recommendations my third one rosemary talked about born a crime um so the first one is a pretty new one a yearbook by seth rogan it just came out Mm -hmm. this year i think um i read it in like two days it was really good. Obviously, it's very funny. He's a pretty funny guy. Um, if you like stoner humor, then you certainly would like this book. Uh, who doesn't, I guess? I don't know. Um, but it isn't just funny. Uh, uh, he's he's pretty smart. I could relate a lot to his stories. He talks about his uh, Jewish grandparents and their funny antics. I guess actually that's all I can really relate to from this book, uh, or at least what I can talk about on this podcast. Um, he talks about his journey into stand-up comedy and Hollywood, which he started at age 12. Like he started doing stand-up comedy in clubs at the age 12, like whoever would let him do it. Um, so that was really funny. It's really funny stories about famous comedians that he would encounter there when he was a kid and they were adults. Uh, he tells uh, some bizarre stories, one about Nicolas Cage, which I'm sure, you know, everyone would love to read. Uh, He breaks down the evils of Jack Dorsey, which I found profound. And I Mm -hmm. think that if anybody, if you're not a fan of Twitter, you should totally uh, read that essay at least. And it wasn't that long. So I like anything that's not that long, especially when it comes to a memoir. I think that, you know, tell your story and get out. Mm -hmm. Uh, So he does that. So I would really recommend that yearbook. The other one I want to recommend is called Shout by uh, Lori House Anderson. She is a young adult author. Uh, She's the one who wrote Speak, which they did make into a movie. It was was very famous. I mean, I'm Mm -hmm. sure everyone has heard about it. I've heard about it. Um, It's still popular. It still gets checked out. 
And the, the book is about a girl in high school or she moves to a new school or something and she gets um, raped by uh, like the school jock or something. And then, you know, nobody believes her. And there's, you know, it's about the aftermath of her sexual assault. And so Shout is a, a memoir about Lori House Anderson, the author, and it's written in verse, which I, I really like. And it tells, um, it tells about her life and she tells some very personal stories, including uh, her own sexual assault that she, uh, I think it happened when she was 12 or 13. Um, and then she talks about, um, you know, like certain parts of her life, how she, she moved, I wanna say she moved to like Finland or one of those very Northern freezing countries. Um, and she moved there in college and lived there for a long time. And then she tells about what it was like after she wrote Speak to travel around and talk at high schools and what it was like to be sort of this advocate for sexual assault survivors and how um, kids would come up to her and tell their stories, you know, in private and say, you know, reading your book really helped me get through this time and, and hearing her own struggles and how she continues as an adult, you know, to, to grapple with what happened to her. So that was really good. And, you know, if you've listened to this podcast, you know, anything written in verse or poetry, I will read and love. So those are my recommendations. Also, you should go ahead and read all the celebrity ones that I talked about. They are good. I mean, I don't know who doesn't love a juicy story. So I personally am a big fan of especially musicians, um, autobiographies, memoirs. Oh, yeah. The I, Anthony Kiedis I one. can't resist. Love that one. It's always been a thing with me. Yeah. They're, Same you know, <laughs> it's like the the more literary form of gossip yeah. which you know what i mean so yeah yeah i think they're fun i agree with you thank yeah. you and like katie i'm not trying to uh, i'll say this and i'll stop katie brought up just kids and i love that book patty oh, smith's book so it's just amazing i've read it a couple times and i also love uh you're the monkey and um the m train train which is are two mm -hmm. other memoirs that she's written i love them. she's just an extraordinary writer too yeah. just her her writing style is amazing and, and it's really it's so great to see that she's not only known for her music now which is also awesome but yes definitely katie do you want to go first you can do your promotional stuff sure so i have a whole load of programs coming up at the scarsdale public library um you can access our events page at scarsdalelibrary.org. I personally run two book clubs a month and the next few selections that we have, um, I have a discussion coming up on November 17th of The Nest by Cynthia DePriest-Sweeney. I'm not sure that I'm pronouncing that right. On December 7th at 7 p.m., I've got The Whisper Network by Chelsea Baker and December 22nd, The Care and Feeding of Ravenously Hungry Girls by Anissa Gray. So those are the next few book club discussions. So if anybody, and they are all virtual, so you're welcome cool. to join anybody. On December 14th, I have a tour called Decked Out for the Holidays, which is the, um, the holler the excuse me <laughs> decked out for the holidays uh mansions conservatories and gardens all over the northeast and then to go along with the life stories of interesting women i have an art historian doing a discussion titled florine stettheimer icon of jazz age new york and that will be on december 20th she was an artist that was sort of underappreciated in her time but 
was a socialite and friends with all of the famous artists and painted her fabulous life in somewhat garish color. Mm-hmm. I'm very interested to learn more about her life. So those are what I have coming up. Thanks. Um, I just wanted to talk about two upcoming local author events. December 1st, we will have Leslie Peterzel Bellot. I'm going to destroy her name. Leslie Peterzel Belenik. She is here to celebrate the publication of her first book, Saved by a Stranger Life Changing Journeys of Transplant Patients, which is part memoir, part interviews. Um, uh, her husband had a liver transplant about a year ago, and it's about navigating that world and also meeting other families and patients who've gone through it. Um, so she interviewed people and transcribed it and put it in the book. And uh, then December 7th, we have Daniel, Le- I can't speak today. Daniel Levin will be at the library, the Nyack Library, to talk about his latest book, Proof of Life, which is a memoir also, wrapped inside a thriller, which details his search to find a missing person in Syria over 20 tense days. These are both in-house live events in the community meeting room, and both authors will have copies available to purchase, and they'll be signing their books as well. And our next episode is still also a work in progress, but it's going to be music. We're hoping to have, hopefully, maybe two staff members, John and Sharon, maybe to be on the show, but You'll find out soon, but that's the topic is music at least. Yes. Um, okay. So if you are interested in us, which if you're listening to this, you probably are, check out our Twitter or Instagram at Nyack Library. You can go to our Facebook page, facebook.com backslash Nyack Library. Uh, you can go to our website, nyacklibrary.org, not.com. Uh, we do have a YouTube page, which is called the Nyack Library from Home. Uh, and if you have any questions or concerns, you can email info at nyaclibrary.org. Um, I am Georgia. I'm Rosemary. I'm Tracy. Thanks, Katie, for being on the episode with us. It's great to have you. Thank you for having me. Thank you, Katie. Okay, that's a wrap on our memoir. <laughs> <laughs>